this week to our service. We were expecting uh, more and more people to be back, and they are. We are excited that you're back. I see the Reese's are back. I see many, many other faces back. Let's give them a warm welcome to be back in the service. We are so blessed. We are so blessed to have many of you and still some of you online. We are blessed to have you online as well. What a blessing it is to worship with one another unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, worship team, for doing such a wonderful job this morning. I love hearing the word of God wash over our souls in our worship time together, and hopefully you will hear that this morning as we preach God's word seems like every single passage of scripture that we come to in the book of Acts is so powerful, right? Every time we open this book and we see the work of God in the life of people, all we can do is look at that and go, Lord, use me. Use me in your power, in your strength, by your spirit. It is... And amazing to see the movement of the Holy Spirit and the gospel spreading like wildfire as God said that it would in the beginning of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power, talking to his disciples, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, we know that it's not just the 12 disciples that are witnesses of Christ to the ends of the earth, and we're gonna see that in this text this morning. Because it's not the apostle John, it's not the apostle of Peter, it's not Bartholomew, maybe a a least well-known disciple, it's not him who's bringing the gospel to the nations. It's second and third generation believers that are unnamed in this text that we're going to look at this morning. People like you and like me that take the gospel to people in Antioch. And that church that starts in Antioch, a third generation believers and disciples, is the church which sends to the nations. Yes, Peter and John and Paul and Bartholomew are going to the nations, but it's the people that they're discipling that will eventually send out missions all over the world. The gospel is moving just as it was in Acts, as it is today and through the church, the people of God. That message, the good news message is going forward. Last week we saw the Holy Spirit fall upon the Gentiles, Cornelius and his family. They begin speaking in tongues, if you will, at this point. Remember during Pentecost, early in Acts, the Spirit fell on the apostles and they began declaring in tongues, in foreign languages, these nations that were gathered could hear them extolling God. And now we have the reversal at the, in, in chapter 10, at the end of chapter 10, we have the reverse of that in which the disciples from Jerusalem that speak Hebrew are hearing these foreigners, these Greek speakers, speak in their language. 
hearing them extol God and praise the Lord. And this is a fulfillment of Isaiah 28, 11. At the end of chapter 10, verse 45, I'm kind of picking up from last week. I didn't have a, a lot of time to deal with this, but chapter 10, verse 45, it says, And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? The fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11. For by the people of strange lips, with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people, speaking of his own people. And they go back to the church. They report what had happened. These, these Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit just as they did at Pentecost, declaring that they are, are in the church, the people of God. There's no designation between Jew and Gentile. There's only people of Christ. And they, they say, and Peter says, tells them the story, and Peter says, who was I to stand in the way of God? In chapter 11. And that's a great question to ask before we get started this morning. Is who are we? To stand in the way of God, to see God's grace on display in the lives of people. So let's look at the text this morning in chapter 11, verse 19. We'll pick up there. As they glorified God together after Peter's story, we'll pick up in verse 19. So stand in honor of reading God's word this morning as we read the scriptures and let that wash over our souls as we see what God did in Acts, he wants to continue to do even today amongst his people going to the nations. Chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that rose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to their ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Bartimus to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them. All to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You may be seated. As we look at this text this morning, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, we ask that you would be glorified this morning. That your people would hear the truths of scripture. And our hearts would be changed, Father. 
Father, we do not hear this text of Scripture just to know something. But Father, help us be moved by the Spirit of the living God to act and to respond to your word, to respond to the testimony of what you have done with a people and a church in a place in which you want to use for your glory. We pray that you would move as you did in the church in Antioch at Northwest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, while, as we gather, and we are extremely blessed to have uh, many of our brothers and sisters with us this morning there are still people all over the world suffering from COVID. And right now, one of the hardest places in the world that is hardest hit with the COVID is India. There is 1.3 billion people living in India, oftentimes living on top of one another in very crowded cities and places in India. 2% of those people consider themselves Christians. So just under the 1.3 billion considers themselves Christian. That means that India is one of the most unreached places upon the earth in today's world. I was listening to um, David Platt speak and he told of a, a story about missionaries who were sent from one of the trainings that the IMB did. And they were sent to a place called Bihar, India. And he tells this story as if it was a real life acts story coming to life in today's world, the 21st century. Bihar, India is a spiritually and physically impoverished place of the world. It is the size of about geographically, about the size of Tennessee. Less than 7 million people live in the state of Tennessee. But in Bihar, India, there is 100 million people living in the same space. It's extremely poor. 0.1% Christian. That means almost no one is a Christian. It's mostly Hindu people. The death rate in Bihar, India is 5,000 people per day. That means 4,995 people plunge into eternal hell, mostly never hearing the gospel. And two brothers who were missionaries to this place went. They were at the end of their rope, ready to quit ministry. As you know, going and pushing back at darkness is a very difficult task. And they go to this place after they received a training and they go to an unreached village, meaning no one believes in the village in which they were going to. And they go from house to house talking to people about the good news message of Jesus Christ and praying with them. They say their spiel at the door, I come in the name of Jesus and I want to tell you about him. 
they came to one of the last houses in the village. And the man said, Jesus, I've heard about him. Can you tell me more? Their faces dropped to the ground as they had been rejected by almost every other person in the village. They said, come to my home. And they said, before you come in, I want to get my friends and my family together so that you can tell us more about Jesus. And during that time, almost 20 people, as they discipled and gave them the stories of God, trusted in Christ. Out of that village and that opportunity led by the Holy Spirit, those 20 people mobilized and not only reached that village, but went to other villages. And now there are 350 different villages in Bihar, India, that have heard the word of God and responded with people repenting and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. What happens? They said, when they asked these two brothers what happened, they said the hand of God was upon us and he allowed us to see the spirit move. I really want to be a part of something like that. Where the hand of God moves his people in the church to do his purposes. Every narrative in this in this book of Acts tells us about the heart of God for people of the earth. How he raises up men and women filled with the spirit of God to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. The story about the church in Antioch is no different. Antioch will be the church that reaches the nations. It will become the church in which we'll send out people Good people, educated people, teachers of the word, strong disciples of Christ for others. In the great words of the great theologian Russell Westbrook, why not? Why not Northwest Baptist? Why not be a church that people see the grace of God and then turn and send those people that see and experience the grace of God to the nations? Verse 19 says this, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. This is point number one this morning, very simple. Preach the Lord Jesus. This is it. We talk about this all the time. We proclaim the gospel. You see, the evidence of the grace of God comes about through the proclamation of the Lord Jesus. The word for preach here, in the Greek, it means to proclaim good news. In English, we get the word evangelize from that word. It is an announcement. 
Think of a guy in the medieval times who would go up in front of the crowd as he blows the horn, da 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 and he makes his announcement, right? The announcement of the contestants for the joust or whatever. To announce, to herald, to tell. And often this announcement would be for victory, The messenger would come from all parts of the world and he would declare victory for the king, for his people, for the nation. Victory is won. Victory. Think think pre-Twitter, okay? How, How do you know who won? We had something called the TV. We, some, some of the kids may not understand that. It was called cable TV back in the day. What did we do before that? Something called the radio. You know, it wasn't Spotify. It wasn't Pandora. It was a radio. It had an antenna, and you put it in your house. How did you do that? How did you declare the good news or a message to someone before the radio? They had something called a newspaper that you actually read. I'm, I'm, I'm instructing our, our younger ones who, have, who haven't been around that long. Um, and what did you do before the newspaper, guys? Well, that goes way back. I don't think anyone was uh, born before that point, but um, you announced it in the public square. You announced the good news. You told, you proclaimed, you heralded the message. You see this, this, this word, preach, is often used in different ways for different ideals. But the thought process is you are declaring, you are pronouncing, you are proclaiming good news of Jesus Christ. Preach the Lord Jesus. This text is so interesting because it tells us why the gospel moved. It says that those who were scattered because of the persecution that rose over Stephen. Remember in chapter 7, there's a witness of the gospel and the religious leaders reject this gospel of Jesus Christ and they end up stoning Stephen. He's an early deacon in the church. He stands up to the religious leaders and he says, no, Christ is the way. He is the Lord. And chapter 8 tells us what happens after this man of God within the church in Jerusalem is stoned to death. It says this in chapter 8, and Saul approved his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Isn't that interesting? Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So what it's telling us, not only in chapter 8, but chapter 11, is the reason why the gospel moved 
was because of persecution. Sometimes we look at persecution and a negative light. We'll see right now the gospel is moving dramatically in the region of Iran. Why? Because it's under persecution. China has seen a great number of people come to faith in Christ under house churches and, and secret church. Persecution spreads the church out and these people are speaking, to. it says in the text, to Jews only. But then as these people are hearing the gospel, these second generation believers from Cyprus and Cyrene begin sharing it to Hellenists. Oh no, they're sharing it with Gentiles. And the church in Antioch is birthed from Gentiles. I'm sure there's Jews there as well, but Gentiles are in the church in Antioch. God is orchestrating all of these things by his sovereign hand. Cornelius, the movement of the church among the nations, the recognition by the church in Jerusalem that these people are in the kingdom of God, that they have received the Holy Spirit, and God is moving these unnamed people from Cyprus and Cyrene into Antioch to to preach Christ. And then he brings Saul into the picture, back into the picture, right? It's almost as if God is laughing to say, oh, I, I, you, you thought I didn't have a plan here. So let's get this straight. Through the stoning of Stephen, the believers are scattered, sharing the gospel with those outside Jerusalem. Now Saul, who's one of the men who is stoning Stephen, actually is beginning to lead this church. Wow, think the Lord has a sense of humor? I think he does. I'd say it's more than a coincidence, don't you? He says to Saul, hey Saul, you're gonna now be my witness to the Gentiles. And guess what? Barnabas knows this. So he goes and gets Saul. And Antioch becomes the example church for sending to nations in all of history. And who was it started by? Was it Peter? Maybe it was the disciple whom Jesus loved. John? Maybe Jesus' other disciple, Bartholomew. We've already talked about him a couple times. Maybe Matthew. No, just some dudes from Cyprus and Cyrene who spoke to Hellenists. They're not even named in this text. That's what we want to do at Northwest. We want to raise up ordinary people to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. But it starts with people speaking to people. They spoke to the Hellenists and proclaiming to them the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ordinary disciples making disciples. Sometimes we're tempted to miss this in the American church. Sometimes we think if we just had this bigger building or if we had more gifted musicians or if we had better programs for every age, we'll have more people coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. No, we just need me and you, ordinary people, speaking about Jesus to our neighbors, to our coworkers. This is, this is actually what Jesus did 
when he was on the earth. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. That's how he discipled them. He actually took these 12 guys along with them when he proclaimed the good news so one day they would be able to proclaim the good news. They, they didn't just eat or drink coffee and donuts talk about their life, and then move on. They actually went together. You want to disciple someone, take them on the mission trip. Want to disciple someone, take them to your neighborhood. Share the gospel. Show them how to do it. 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul says, for, I did, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. The cross of the Christ has power. It doesn't need you with eloquent words. That's what Paul says. It doesn't need your, your, your extremely uh, educated theological background to proclaim Jesus. It needs ordinary people speaking to ordinary people about who Jesus is and what he has done done. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 says this, Paul says, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Church, we don't need to, to have all of this wisdom and all these plausible words and all these great theories and ways to practice this, but we need a demonstration of the spirit and of power in the proclamation of the gospel. We need a reliance completely upon Jesus and the Holy Spirit to proclaim our faith. We're getting ready to go to Utah. We have 14 people ready to go to Utah. Guess what? It's a very big challenge for us, sharing the gospel with Mormons. Very big challenge. We need you to pray for those people. We need you to pray for us. We need you, we need you to pray for all of us that we would open our mouth with boldness. But this preaching that we talk about, it's any communication of good news of Jesus. It's not just in the pulpit. It's a, in a conversation. It's at night putting your child to sleep. It's, it's sitting next to your coworker whose parent has just died. It's in your community group speaking the truth and love. It's, it's speaking to your child's teacher at their parent-teacher conference, it's conversing over the first coming of Jesus, the good news that he brought the kingdom of God. It is conversing over the evidences of grace in your life. It is conversing over the fact that Jesus is coming soon. Amen? I think you can get into a conversation with anybody about Jesus is coming back. Let's, let's talk about the pandemic. I think it can happen. 
And I think we can do it as the church. And the hand of the Lord was with them, verse 21, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The very hand of the Lord was with them. Now, God, God doesn't have a hand, right? He's spirit. But the representation is, is God's power at work. Now, the hand of the Lord in Scripture is talked about multiple times. We talked about this when we preached through Ezra. Some people may, have, may go, what are you talking about? We actually preached through the book of Ezra not too long ago, maybe a couple years back. It's been a long time. We slept, slept since then. But the hand of the Lord can be the hand in which God empowers people to do his work, but it can also be the hand of God's wrath. Either for good or pouring out God's wrath. An example of God's hand pouring out the wrath of God is 1 Samuel. The Philistines take the Ark of the Covenant from the Israelites. They ransack the, temp- the, 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 the temple there, the tabernacle there, and, they, and they, they take the very place where God is supposed to dwell in the Holy of Holies And the Lord pours out his wrath upon the Philistines, talking about the hand of God upon them, placing on them suffering and even tumors. Yet in this preaching, the hand of the Lord is talking about the empowerment by the Spirit to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. The power of God at work in the life of people. A few weeks ago, we talked about, Cody was here last week, so two weeks ago, we talked about how the Spirit does as he wills. We cannot produce power of the Spirit upon ourselves. yet we know what the Spirit wants to do. He wants to glorify Jesus Christ. So when we speak to people, the best news that they could ever hear, we exalt Christ We give them the gospel of Christ. We have the opportunity for the Spirit to come alongside and and work in power. But if we never open our mouth to the gospel, if we never talk about who Christ is and what he has done for us and what he has done for them and what he has done for this church, the Spirit has no ability to move. We exalt Christ. We trust that God wants to move among his people and we pray for that. Verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas, the son of encouragement, that's that's what his name means, to Antioch. Barnabas, remember, had given a lot of his his land and property to the church. He's he's the anti-Ananias and Sapphira who lies about it. He doesn't lie about it. He gives freely and he's an encourager and he goes to Antioch and when he came he saw the grace of God he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose this is our second point this morning people see the grace of God through his people through his church people see the grace of God through his people His church, you, me. 
the evidence of the grace of God is seen by Barnabas. With who? The people at Antioch who'd received the gospel and now practicing the gospel amongst themselves. Let me ask you two questions this morning. Do you see the grace of God? So have the scales come off of your eyes to see God's grace around you? And number two, do others see the grace of God in you, through you? Do other people see, experience the grace of God through your life? The grace of God, the undeserved favor of the Lord. Anything that happens to us according to the sovereignty of God and the Holy Spirit that works inside of you is the grace of God. We are not deserving, I am not deserving to preach to you this morning. We are not deserving to see people and their life change through the gospel, through us. We are not deserving to go to an unreached people group and share the gospel and them repent and believe in Christ and their lives change for generations. We are undeserving of the favor of the Lord to be upon us. Yet he sees fit to allow others to experience God himself through his people. You know, sometimes we can actually miss the evidences of the grace of God in our life. We had a garage sale this weekend. Our neighborhood had a neighborhood garage sale. I, we had never done this before. We had, we, had, we had some really good stuff, you know, some old clothes, some old stuffed animals, that, you know, some old kids' toys, Tripp's bike, which looked like it needed some severe wound care therapy. Our neighbor brought over some old board games, and my, my parents actually brought over their vacuum that didn't work, all right? So we had some really good stuff, you know? I mean, I thought to myself, this is kind of a waste of time, but this is what my wife wanted to do on her birthday. And, uh, and they came by the hundreds. I'm telling you, I've never done this before. They came to our house to buy all sorts of good stuff. Our prices were probably too low, but we got rid of almost everything. Trip actually played a man one-on-one for $1, and Trip won, so he got the dollar. I was skeptical. Not exactly how I wanted to spend my Friday and Saturday, but I found something in the midst of all of that the people actually wanted to talk. They actually wanted to have conversation. Um, 
I got to meet my neighbors. We actually prayed with the lady who had who was going through cancer treatment, one of our neighbors. And at the end, I saw something completely different than what I expected to see going through the weekend. But this is really all of life, right? Suffering, pain, loss. We sometimes look at them as hopeless or terrible. Yet when we look into the hardest parts of life, the evidence of the grace of God are even there. Look at Antioch, formed out of the fires of persecution and loss, the death of Stephen. And yet God is showing something unexpected for his glory. Not even that we could expect. This is our life. God wants to turn darkness to light. He wants to show the evidences of his grace in your life even through the worst moments in your life. He wants to show life through death, which is best exemplified in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's victory through what some would call defeat. It's what he does. What did Barnabas see? He saw the grace of God. He saw followers of Jesus. He saw worshipers of Jesus come from the scattered church in Jerusalem through the death of Stephen. He saw something magnificent. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. You see, I see the evidence of the grace of God in your life this morning. Why? You say, Rob, you don't know me because you're here. Whether this is your first time or your 999th time, which is a little over 19 years, by the way, every Sunday. We have some of those people as well. But nevertheless, you're here in person or online hearing about the good news that Jesus Christ saved you from your sin. He has given you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee for your inheritance in the kingdom of God. And Jesus, he is coming back to judge all mankind according to their sin. And yet God has provided a great salvation from the wrath of God for all eternity through your faith in Jesus Christ. It is good news. Jesus died in your place upon the cross, placing your faith and trust in Christ covers your sin. And now, church, he has given you a purpose. He calls you to love Jesus with all of your heart and now live his mission with your life. And that's what Barnabas does here He calls them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Those two go hand in hand. Faithfulness to God, we call it love for the Lord. Steadfast purpose, we live his mission. Verse 24, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. 
So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church, taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You see, evidence of the grace of God in your own life often leads to more people adding to the Lord. When we experience the grace of God, we get to give that grace of God to others through the message of the gospel. We get to be the grace of God in someone else's life. That's what Barnabas is. He is the grace of God in Saul's life. He goes and he gets Saul. I see the grace of God. Now I become the grace of God for someone else. That's called the church. We experience the grace of God on Sundays so that all week long we can be the grace of God to people that the Lord has placed in our path. Evidence of the grace of God in my life. One is preaching. I can remember being a junior in college at Oklahoma State University. I had a five-minute presentation, and I had a PowerPoint presentation that I could use. So five minutes, I'm supposed to talk about something to do with marketing. For five minutes, making a presentation. Guys, it was the worst presentation I have ever seen in my life. I was so nervous. I decided to have these index cards in which I would read the index cards. We, we won the state championship in basketball in my high school, and I was supposed to speak to the elementary kids, and I was so nervous about speaking in front of people. I think I almost peed my pants. I didn't. But I was so nervous in college. I had preached three sermons when I became the pastor at First Baptist Church Holdenville seven and a half years ago. The Lord allowing me to preach to you is an evidence of God's grace in my life. Verse 25 and 26, don't miss it. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Last point this morning is this. Christians are disciples. Christians are disciples. You see, the term Christian has much weight. It's been, it's been watered down recently. But it has much weight according to Scripture. 1 Peter 4.13 says this, But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed 
because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. That name throughout centuries has bore much persecution, bore much suffering, bore much death, more, much martyrdom. And yet, this is the first place in which they are called Christian. Why? Because these Christians are not Jews, they're not a sect of Judaism, they're not Gentiles. They're identified with the name of Jesus Christ. The name is actually given to the people of God by outsiders to describe this church, Antioch. Why? Because they are people that identify with Christ Jesus. One of the commentators said, it means little Christ. People say, oh, they are followers of Jesus. I wonder how people on the outside describe you, me. Maybe they describe you as an elite Thunder fan. Maybe a great lawyer. Maybe they describe you as wealthy, very wealthy. Maybe they describe you as the owner of your own business. But how many outsiders would describe you as a follower of Jesus? A disciple? A Christian? So what is your identity? Is it someone who follows Jesus and invites others to follow him with you? That's what the church in Antioch was. We'll get back to the church in Antioch in chapter 13. But the church in Antioch would be the church in which while they are worshiping together and fasting, the Holy Spirit would send Paul and Barnabas two of their best to the ends of the earth. What church does that? A church led by the Spirit. Evidence of the grace of God in the church. What a beautiful thing it is. Let's pray. Father, we know that there are some here this morning who have lost sight of their identity as a disciple of Jesus. We know that you are changing our hearts through the word of God and through the power of your spirit. We know that you are convicting us, Father, to throw off the sin that easily entangles us and to run the race in which you have called us 
as the church, the people of God. Father, you know our hearts. You know that our need, Lord, is you. Father, we need the Holy Spirit. We recognize we are nothing apart from you. We cannot do anything. Father, help us as a people to humble ourselves, to say, I need Christ today. Lord, you have given us the opportunity to respond to the message this morning. We pray that we would do that. We pray that you would deal with our hearts and that we would pray and ask you, Lord, for you to be Lord, you to be in charge. We relinquish our rights, give you the ability to do as you wish. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.